0: Pray or pay. That, I would say, sums up the message of St. Paul in the first two verses of today's second reading, that text from 1 Timothy 2, which concerns our relationship with our civil leaders. He writes, First of all, I ask that supplications, prayers, petitions, and thanksgivings be offered for everyone, for kings and for all in authority, that we may lead a quiet and tranquil life in all devotion and dignity. The implication of St. Paul's words in this passage, the implication is that if we don't pray for our civil leaders, If we don't offer supplications, prayers, and petitions for God to bless them and guide them in their work, we will pay for it. And not just in higher taxes, but in other ways that can be even more devastating. Pray or pay. Now, some of you might be thinking, but Father Ray, I do pray. I pray for the President every day, for the Governor, for all our other civil leaders, and things are still pretty bad out there. True, but it could be worse. And I believe without prayer, it would be worse, a lot worse. Of course, the solution to our political and social problems isn't only the responsibility of God. It's not a case of us praying, God waving his magical heavenly wand, and making everything right here on this earth. That's not the way it works. That's not the way God designed things to work. We also have our part to play. First of all, by electing the best people we can find into office. And that's why I like this passage of Scripture so much. Because here, God indicates to us, through St. Paul, the kind of people we should be looking for at election time. Notice the reason why Paul says that we should pray for our civil leaders. This is a key point in the text. He says that we should do it so that, quote, we may lead a quiet and tranquil life in all devotion... And dignity in all devotion. That expression points us to the idea of religious freedom. A good civil leader, according to St. Paul, respects the religious freedom of his citizens. Now, that's a biblical notion that we also find in our Constitution, in the First Amendment. Part of which reads as follows, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Our Constitution does not promote freedom from religion, as some in our culture would have us believe at the present time. Quite oppositely, the Constitution promotes freedom of religion, The Catechism of the Catholic Church has a great line in this regard, which is found in paragraph 2211, it reads as follows, the political community has a duty, a duty to honor the family, to assist it, and to ensure especially the freedom to profess one's faith, to hand it on and raise one's children in it with the necessary means and institutions. Religious freedom in the United States of America right now, my brothers and sisters, is under assault. We need to be aware of it. We need to be clear about it. Catholic hospitals, for example, should not be forced by federal or state government to provide services that the Church considers to be immoral. Catholic hospitals and health care facilities should be free to follow Catholic moral teachings with respect to the services that they offer and the services that they do not offer. And our founding fathers would agree. That's precisely the kind of thing they were getting at when they wrote that First Amendment. Along the same lines, Catholic doctors should not be forced to refer for abortions or prescribe contraception, emergency or otherwise, if it violates their consciences. Catholic pharmacists should not be forced to fill prescriptions of RU-486, that's the abortion pill, or the so-called morning-after pill. But there are many political figures today on both sides of the aisle who are working extremely hard to pass laws that would force Catholic doctors and pharmacists to do those very things and to engage in other practices that are equally immoral. Similarly, there are political figures out there, usually backed by special interest groups, who want to force Catholic schools to teach that so-called gay marriage is okay and that sex outside of marriage is morally acceptable. There are even politicians in Washington right now who are trying to restrict what pastors like me can say from their pulpits on these and other issues of personal morality. This is going on right now in our country. A good civil leader believes in, respects, and promotes in law religious freedom. And that's important because, as St. Paul reminds us in this text, religious freedom is a precondition for a quiet and tranquil life. Is it any wonder that life in our country is becoming less quiet and a lot less tranquil these days? The second idea Paul mentions there is dignity. He says that we should pray for our civil leaders so that we may lead a quiet and tranquil life in all devotion and dignity. A good civil leader, therefore, according to St. Paul the Apostle, is one who recognizes and upholds the dignity of every human person from natural conception until natural death. Not surprisingly, that is strikingly similar to what our founding fathers were getting at when they wrote these famous words in the Declaration of Independence. We all know them well, I'm sure. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, certain logical conclusions follow from that. See, obviously, any politician who fails to recognize the dignity and the fundamental rights of every human person is not worthy of our support on election day. That immediately disqualifies, or at least it should disqualify, those who call themselves pro-choice. It disqualifies those who support the destruction of human embryos for research since embryos are human beings at a very early stage of development. Every single one of us in this church right now is an ex-embryo. I hope that's not news to anyone, that's biology 101. It disqualifies those who in any way support euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide. It disqualifies those who are racists. Now oh, that narrows down the field quite a bit, doesn't it? Now I know not everyone agrees with these biblical principles. I understand that well. Not everyone sees these issues of devotion and dignity in the same way that St. Paul and our founding fathers saw them as being of paramount importance. These people will say, "Well, you know, other issues are important too." like the economy. Their primary consideration in the voting booth is usually, which of the candidates on this ballot will benefit me? Which one will benefit me the most financially? And so instead of voting according to moral principles, like the ones I've outlined in this homily, they vote for the person that they think will fill their wallets or their pocketbooks the most. Many Catholics in Rhode Island have done this for years. This should not be news to anyone. People who have this perspective are usually very upfront about it, very upfront about it with me. They always have been. Which raises a very interesting question, my brothers and sisters, and I will leave you to ponder this. Where has it gotten us? Where has it gotten us? Where has, disregarding the moral law and the principles of the Constitution and Declaration of Independence, where has that gotten us? Here, in our beautiful state of Rhode Island. Sad to say, it's gotten us one of the highest unemployment rates in the country. And, according to the President himself, The worst economy since the Great Depression. Pray or pay. It's true. I pray that we will fare better, a lot better in this year's election, so that we won't pay for it with any more unemployment and unnecessary human suffering.